0: Hello and welcome to the Recon Ride. I'm Dane Cash,
1: and I am a very tired
0: Cosmo Catalano. <laughs> Are you tired because of how exciting the Tour de France has been? It's been keeping you up all night.
1: In in part, I mean, it's that's I would not say it's the primary factor, but it may be an aggravating factor. Now, I have a I have a two two month and what day is it three day old baby um, that I am tending to at the moment on paternity leave, so.
0: A white jersey candidate.
1: Oh, d- definite white jersey contender. He almost rolled over this morning. So like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it yeah. was huge. He was a lot of talent right there. He just needs, you know, the right, right team environment to develop in.
0: Watch out, Egon Bernal. Um, oh, yeah. So we are back to talk Tour de France again for our second of three shows. We're chatting on the first rest day after 10 stages. It's been a very, very long first quote unquote week. You know,
1: if if they're all going to be this good, they should all be this long,
0: I think. I'm okay with it. 30, yeah. 30 Grand Tour stages sounds good to me. Uh, it's <laughs> been a very eventful 10 stages, despite the general lack of uh, GC-looking stages. There have been some GC-oriented stages. There's There's been... Uh, it's been excitement up the road and the breakaways. The sprints haven't gone as expected always. There's just been a lot a lot of storylines, a lot of narratives that have been pretty fun to watch. And, and that's been kind of a nice change because there have been a lot of years recently where the first week of the tour, or really any grand tour, just isn't the most compelling and everything's backloaded. Uh, this year, they found a way somehow. And it didn't really involve putting a bunch of high mountains in either to make this interesting.
1: No, I think it's I think it was really good. Uh really two things really. Really good course selection by the organizers, like it a lot of the times you almost feel like they're just killing hours between one town that paid them 50,000 euros and another town that paid them 60,000 euros. And this year they, they the courses feel made with love. Uh on, on Eurosport, uh Juan Antonio Fletcher has one of the one of my favorite uh preview shows of any kind. Uh, including ours unfortunately cuz we can't go out and ride up and then ride down and do finishes ourselves on bikes but ours would be good if we could anyway he has really described a lot of these finishes as classics-esque finishes and he's he's definitely right and the racing really follows that line and i think the riders have really embraced it uh, there's a someone was doing a post-race interview with Kwiatkowski a few days ago i think it was after stage 8 And he's very much like, look, it doesn't matter if we're going up an HC climb or it's a mostly flat day. You know, the riders make the race. Uh, EF and Astana went hard today, and uh, so you know we were there to defend. Like that's, I just thought that was really cool. I think a lot of people look too much at the course profile and say, boring day, interesting day. You know, it's it really is down to the riders every day.
0: Yeah, guilty as charged. By the way, looking at the profiles, thinking they're going to be boring.
1: It's the most important information. Like it's, you know, like. I'm I'm trying to think of a good metaphor here. It's you can't know two weeks ahead of time what the race situation is going to be on a given day, what the what the winds will be like. True. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, yeah, you don't you can look at a Google map, but you can't tell that a bridge abutment is twenty feet above the surrounding terrain and horribly exposed to wind. Like, there's there's all these little things you can never tell. We do our best, but um, I think it's been cool to see this this tour really come to life.
0: You can uh, sometimes, however. Assume Thomas DeGent's going to win a breakaway stage, though. Not, not to toot my own horn or, or ring my own <laughs> bike bell. But uh, So let's let's get into the, the state of the race after 10 stages and set the scene, if you will, to talk about where we are as we head into quote-unquote week two, even though that technically started like three days ago. Uh, 10 stages into the Tour de France, the GC has really started to take shape largely due to a team time trial uh, stage 6, which finished atop La Planche de Belfi, and Stage 10, uh, which, due to some crosswinds and, in one, one rider's case, a uh, crash, uh, saw a number of GC stars take a tumble down the general classification. So, at the moment, Julian Alaphilippe is your Tour de France race leader in the yellow jersey with over a minute advantage to the Ineos power duo of Gary and Thomas, the defending champion, of course, and Egon Bernal, the highly touted youngster seen by many as the Tour de France favorite uh, coming into the race. Both of those INEOS riders are second and third overall at the moment. Steven Kreiswick, the next best-placed rider, and a couple of other guys within a minute of the INEOS pair, Adam Yates, Nairo Quintana. A lot of guys, though, lost a lot of time in that stage 10 chaos. Uh, you know, Richie Port. Migaberto Urán, Thibaut Pino was looking really strong coming in to that stage. Jakob Foolsong. Uh, they all lost time. Mikel Landa crashed and lost even more time. And so, basically, without even having a, you know, a throwing of punches, if you will, we've we've had a GC shakeup that has put the Ineos power duo that everybody thought was going to win this race anyway uh, has already put them pretty far ahead of a lot of their rivals before we even hit the high mountains, there's a lot of people out there, I think, who think that this race is kind of over.
1: Uh, I mean, I'm wondering whether those people saw stage six because, you know, Ineos did that thing where they all get together at the front for about half a kilometer and then Londa rode up the road and then uh, FDG just took over and, you know, they... Thomas and Bernard didn't do poorly they you know they were they were up there some of the first riders across the line. thomas was the 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 first of the g c favorites to come across, but like they didn't dominate the race, they didn't dictate terms Ineos, you know nothing nothing really seemed to be firing for them, and I think you can get away with that on planche de Belfi, but I think on a legit alpine climb or a legit perenian climb like 30 40 minutes of climbing you that isn't a thing that's going to be able to happen to them and you know Thomas looked great but he looked great for a minute at the top of that climb which is what Gary and Thomas does like if you looked at last year's tour something like half his winning margin was within the final kilometer or final minute of racing on on hill climbs and again you know you have to be able to do more than that you have to be able to be protected up those 30 40 minutes of riding uh and I think a slip up like that on a real climb uh could could see any OS riders like legitimately lose time to to G C competitors for I think the probably the first time we've seen in the history of that, at least since uh 2012.
0: Yeah, I think uh they had they made a nice statement on stage ten uh about their their strength in this race on the Flatter days. Uh, I which think they made a great st-
1: statement in stage eight too. Like when yes, they when, yeah. when Thomas had that crash, like that was, it was like a, it was like a set piece. It was like, everybody instantly knew what they were going to do. You know, that, that level of everybody, there was no like, holy crap, what do we do? No one was on the radio to the team car. Yeah. They were stuck behind that crash so that I'm sure helped, but panic is panic. And they didn't have any of it. Like it was just amazing to see, especially while, you know, EF was basically hanging rusty woods out to dry while driving the pace at the front of the race for For some reason, you know, maybe, maybe Rusty Woods was a decoy. They are going all the way around the whole time, but it just seemed to me that was like the contrast of the tour so far was that, that, that little crash, uh, on stage eight. And I, I mean, I think people, people, people just view Ineos as this evil empire where the guys are just super strong and ride away from everybody, but like, they're good at bike racing. You can't, you can't make that argument after these 10 days of racing, and say, you know, you're gonna, Bernal and Thomas are in second and third because they're good at racing, not because they have more watts or tramadol or whatever super secret thing you think is making them better. Like, that's pure bike racing.
0: And that's been the case for a couple of years. I mean, Froome has had success because of that in the past. This is nothing new. I think people are really starting to finally come around to the fact that they are actually quite good at racing bikes. Um, uh, you mentioned a team that, you know, maybe didn't quite, uh, achieve the results they wanted. Tell me about uh, who, who you have been pleasantly surprised by and maybe who has been surprising in the less pleasant way for you over these first 10 days. Because I, I, I think I know you want to talk about uh, the latter for the team that you've just brought up.
1: Well, yeah, but I, I'll start on a positive note if, if that's good. Oh, that's content. always good. Um,
0: that, I think that's probably good, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I think Movistar has been riding great. Um, they're, you know, I think I mentioned this in the Giro, too. They, historically, they've just been... You know how Mark Zuckerberg describes Twitter. you know it's a it's a clown car that accidentally fell into a gold mine. Um, and th- this this year, they've been really good. They've been leveraging the strengths of the different riders they have. You had a very early attack from Mikael Landa on on Planche de Belfie that you know had had things gone tact. if you had didn't have ala Philippe uh, or a really strong FDJ in that GC group, probably would have gained a bunch of time. Uh, you had incredible organization, uh, in the crosswinds when Londo went down. I mean, immediately, you know, uh, Valverde is at the front saying, Hey, we're not doing any more polls. You had two guys straight from the front group all the way to the back group. Uh, four movie star guys on that, that third group. And your third group in an echelon day, like, that is usually like death knell. You know, that is 10 minutes. You look at, uh, George Bennett from, from Yumbo, like, he lost forever yesterday. And, to see Movistar react that quickly and that precisely, and hold that gap to to the the GC that first group to about two minutes, that is really snatching a moderate defeat from the jaws of an absolute debacle. Um, <laughs> and it's not it's not something we've seen. And I, I, again, I got to give Valverde credit; like he's in the World Championships jersey, and he's a climbing domestique. He has been on the front, ticking off miles in a way that he's been criticized for not doing in the past.
0: I, I totally agree. I think the uh the londa situation was just kind of a bummer even. I mean, it, it, they did a lot oh, of good things bummer. that day. They, they did a lot of things right yep. that in the past they've been criticized for and then uh, just due to I don't want to say dumb luck, but uh, a a bad chance moment uh, that did not play out in their favor. Fortunately for them, Quintana's still up there though and yeah, I mean he's been quiet so far this race but uh, they've looked strong as a team, so I would not be surprised if he shines in this second week here. All right, what about uh, what about the surprise in the less positive way?
1: Uh, EF, man, I, I everybody loves EF at least in America or the United States. I, I I've always liked the the way they ride because they don't have they have to be scrappy, right? As Cavendish used to say after he stopped being able to steamroll everybody, uh, they and they, you know, they have their moments and they're cool to cheer for, but especially stage stage eight, I thought was just really poorly done on their part. Um, I, I'm sure they had a plan and committed to it and didn't want to think too hard about it in the moment. Cause that's when you really start to make mistakes, but it, uh, on stage 10, like they had the right idea. They had the winning strategy. They just had it, you know, a minute or two too soon. And I don't know how precisely they went from trying to make that second big push for echelons to describe stage 10, it was kind of rolling countryside and there was a good crosswind going, but it wasn't that stereotypical dead flat you kind of get in Western France. Uh, and so there was a section that had big crosswinds, but also had hedgerows. And then you kind of went into this forested descent and you came out on another section of kind of rolling plain and EF got to the front right on this right on this bridge, very exposed, perfect spot for it. Ineos was, you know, they weren't horribly out of position, but they weren't up at the front. It was going to be a problem for them. And for whatever reason, uh, it just didn't happen for after a minute or two or so of riding. And a lot of the guys ended up kind of drifting back into what was a pretty large bunch going downhill. And then 30 seconds later, the field's guttered and they're in the second echelon and it's just, it kills me. But like, you knew the risk was there. Like you were, you saw this opportunity, you were ready for it. Um, and yet somehow you ended up totally victimized by it. And I just, ah, get it together, guys. Come on. It's tough
0: tough to watch that uh, uh, fortunately, I think, while there was a significant time loss, the fact that they are now uh, they being Oran but also full song Richie Port Pino uh, they're now a minute forty further back on the Ineos pair that uh, from where they were, I don't think that necessarily is game over just purely from uh, a not at all. basic bike racing perspective. I mean, we have some serious high mountains coming up. I think EF and the other teams that lost out on that stage are going to have a chance to take that time back. The reason that so many people are, are you know, already kind of saying this race is over is because they just assume that Gary Thomas and Aegon Bernal are going to light everybody up on these climbs. But that doesn't necessarily have to happen. I mean, if either one of those guys has a bad day or if they both have a bad day, uh, you can very quickly pick up two minutes on somebody On a very high-altitude, long climb like the and
1: I mean, you got to remember, too, that whole last week is 2,000 meters, 2,200, 2,300. Like, that – I think it's hard to describe uh, if you've never really done multiple days, especially for me anyway, going between low to high, low to high, low to high. Like, that's really tricky for me. Um, I I tend to be pretty comfortable at altitude and just hanging out. but it's definitely a different thing when you are really going at it day after day after day. and I honestly I think Pinot, Pinot was the, has been the best climber of the tour so far, like he's he j- ju- he made up like 10 seconds on the last 100 or so meters up up Planche de Belfi. um yeah, it I just looks really good, looks super confident. I loved watching him go with Alaphilippe Philippe on stage eight. I thought that was wonderful um and you know they stuck that attack like they they got a tiny amount of motorbike help which may have been unfair but uh yeah it, they you know he looks he looks fired up I think Enric Moss is is kind of like laying in the weeds too but I think there are lots of potential threats to Enios at this point in time
0: You mentioned Enric Moss he's definitely one of the riders that has impressed me so far in this race and I kind of feel bad for him because I mean, I already felt bad for him coming into the race because De at Quickstep was not hyping him at all coming into the race. Uh, he, of course, finished second overall at the Vuelta last year, which is, I mean, that's a big deal. And he's only 24 years old. A lot of people in Spain are very excited about Enric Moss. He came into the race, and there was just very little fanfare from his team. Uh, this is his debut Tour de France, and Quickstep was very much in their pre-race, you know, press release, uh, pre-race content type stuff kind of saying well we'll see how it goes no pressure maybe because they don't really expect him to contend maybe because they don't really want to expend resources on him i think that's the real reason uh, a lot of chatter that he's going to be headed to movistar next year so why yeah, would every, they?
1: everybody's going to movistar, they, going to movistar. Or,
0: or leaving movistar from what uh, <laughs> everybody is reporting about Nairo quintana uh but yeah, Mas, just no fanfare coming in, despite being second overall at the Vuelta last year. And yeah, uh, yeah. he's been pretty good so far. He finished, uh, you know, top 20 on the La Planche de Belfi stage. Uh, he's up there now inside the top 10. Again, only 24 years old. This is his first Tour de France. But the poor guy's going to get very little help from his teammates, as long as Julian Alaphilippe is wearing yellow. I think
1: You don't think this is part of the game? You don't think, this is, you don't think they're setting us up for the, the long hustle here?
0: I don't think so. I'm just getting the sense from 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 DQS that this is all about Philippe right now, and they're just kind of letting Moss do his own thing. All right. I hope I'm wrong for his sake.
1: I Philippe had a like a rest day quote that like oh it's like oh team strategy is going to be the same like keep me in the yellow jersey and I'm like ah I don't know about that man like you're riding good yeah, but you know how. I I think I think Planche de Belfit, if if Ala Philippe had grand designs on winning the Grand Tour or winning the, the Tour de France, uh, it would have been a wake-up call. Uh he he went very decisively clear of that group, and then immediately I mean when he when he, when Thomas and, and and later Pinot came up behind him, like he was absolutely flat, like had nothing there. You know, Pinot could have probably gotten off the bike and walked past him to the line.
0: <laughs> but and, he did uh, finish up there with all those big he, he guys. He finished you up know? there,
1: but you know, he would have done, I I am 90-ish percent sure he would have done better just hanging out, following following Thomas, and then outspreading Thomas at the end of the race. Sure. I, I think he probably wouldn't have lost the yellow jersey at all.
0: I think my point more is the fact that the fact that he was even up there is a big deal. And now, uh, as we head into the second week, Julien Alaphilippe is the uh, fourth favorite for the overall victory with most bookies. It's it's Thomas Bernal and uh, Nairo Quintana, and then Julien Alaphilippe uh, with the, the with the fourth shortest odds right now to win the Tour de France. Not just win a stage. They have good the,
1: odds against. They have good. Can I pick field against Alaphilippe? What are they? I think the you can probably there? pick
0: field against Alaphilippe and maybe make a couple of cents on you know ten bucks. But uh, you know, I think he maybe is starting to believe in this himself. I would too. I, he's been great so far, and La Planche de Belfi is not a small climb. I'm not saying I expect him to make it uh, all the way to Paris with the with the yellow jersey. I don't expect him to make it into the third week with the yellow jersey. But I I can kind of understand if he and his team are going to try to push it just to see how far he can go.
1: Coming onto the coming onto the gravel at Planche de Belfi, how many people were in that lead group? Like 25. That's 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 a really big group for less than a k left in a in a climb at the Tour de France. Like p- people are like, oh, it's uphill finish, big climb, he did good. Yeah, he did pretty good, but I just will let when he does this, you know, uh on the Tourmalet, then I will be a believer. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I'm with you. I I also see this and and I hope that uh, Enric Moss's chances aren't torpedoed by his teammates, you know uh doomed to fail aspirations but i can sort of understand why uh people people are thinking athlete might hang on because i really do think he's been he i think he has outperformed expectations uh so far and, and i think he he could at least continue to do so through the first time trial or the only time trial we'll see if he can hold on after that i'm with you i don't I don't think he's going to hold on through the tourmalade uh before we get to any predictions though uh i want to say a word about the sprinting field in this race
1: oh okay is this going to be a hot take? Is this going to be
0: hot? It's not that, it's not that hot. Uh, you know, let's call it a, a warm take. Dylan Grunewagen, Ellie Viviani, Caleb Ewan, all three of those guys came into this race as the, as the kind of top tier of the sprinters, or at least the three guys who on every single sprint stage are at the top of the you know favorites uh, for the bookies. And understandably so. With no Fernando Gaviria, with Mark Cavendish and Marcel Kittle gone, with Greipel clearly not what he used to be, this was a real opportunity for those guys, for the Vivianis, the Grunewegens, to establish themselves as the sprinters to beat at this Tour de France or just in Tours de France generally. And yes, Ellie Viviani has a stage win. Yes, Dylan Grunewagen has a stage win. But there have been more than two sprint stages. Uh, Mike Tunison has won a sprint at this Tour de France. Watt van Aert has won a sprint at this Tour de France. I think Elia Viviani, his one Tour de France stage win is fewer than he should have right now. And I think he's probably pretty frustrated about it.
1: Hey, these are atypical sprints uh, with atypical race situations. Tunison, Tunison got a gift from Sonny Colbrelli, like basically towed him to the line. And then all he needed to do was not run into the back of Sonny Colbrelli and throw the bike, uh, which he did. Peter Sagan totally should have won that stage, uh, but well, can, it's, there's a lot of people who should have won. Uh, I think that's Ewan the He would have won, but he got boxed in.
0: There are guys who should be winning these. And yeah, they're, they're different. They're not just traditional sprints. There's a little kick here or there, you know, a small group coming out of crosswinds, whatever. But if you want to establish yourself as, as the top tier of sprinters, which I think these guys do, you got to win those too. And I just. I haven't. I don't think. I don't think they're happy with the performance so far. There's a great video of Eli Viviani's face uh, when Wout van Aert won the Stage Ten sprint Uh, with his frustration. (laughs) He does not look happy. He knows he should have won that sprint again. Not to take anything away from Wout van Aert, who's been incredible uh, and and obviously can sprint well. But if Eli Viviani wants to be considered one of the top two or three sprinters in the world, he he needs to be winning. You know, pretty much whenever he's in the sprint and that hasn't happened yet. Caleb Ewan has yet to to win a stage at all. He's been close, he's been very very close, but he just hasn't quite stepped up to actually get that win and and that's what sprinting is all about. It's not like uh with, you know, GC guys you can make a career out of coming in fifth a bunch of times. Uh that's really not the case if you're a sprinter. And I'm I'm waiting to see if somebody really steps up. Again, Viviani and Grunewegen have both won a stage. Grunewagen's problem has been more that he just hasn't been there uh his teammates though have have picked up the slack beautifully for him uh but I I am gonna be curious to see if those guys you and Grunewagen, and Viviani you know kind of step up and, and win multiple stages here uh, at least for the flat stages that remain in this tour there's not that many left uh to fill this void the 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 griple Cav, Kittle years are over and it's it's time for somebody to step up and with no Gaviria here they you really expect one of these guys to be doing it. Uh, but there's still time. So I guess we will see what happens in the coming stages, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about the next five stages that await, uh, the next block of racing before the second and final rest day. The tour de France finally hits some pretty serious climbs, uh, not starting with stage 11. The Wednesday stage is probably going to come down to a sprint. Um, I'm 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 wary now of saying anything like that after stage ten. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? You know, you know, you can never really be sure if uh, Ineas is not going to just blow everybody up on the crosswinds with the help of DQS. But this really looks like a sprint stage from Albi to Toulouse. So yeah, I'm um, I'm gonna go with uh Grunewagen to actually make it to the finish and then sprint to the victory.
1: Uh, I'm gonna go with Caleb Ewan. He's been knocking on the door. I feel like he you should probably get a win in before the mountains just for cosmic balance.
0: (laughs) All right. Stage 12. It's a real mountain stage. It's got multiple. And by multiple, I mean two, uh, first category climbs. And then it ends with a pretty interesting, long downhill finish about, uh, 30 kilometers of, uh, downhill roads from the top of that second first category climb. Uh, these are two tough climbs that they have to go over here at the end of the day. For the stage, I think this could be one for the break. Uh, this just looks like a great day for the breakaway for me. I, I also think there's going to be a lot of GC action, but at least from a predicting who's going to win the stage perspective. Uh, let's go with Warren Bargill. He's, uh, he's like three and a half minutes down on GC. I think there's a chance that he can get clear or maybe just attack out of the, the Peloton and the, you know, penultimate climb and get clear and hold it to the line.
1: It's a good pick. He has good karma too. He apologized for the Landa for bumping mm. Landa. which
0: mm-hmm.
1: is I, I respect that. Uh, I, I am. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm still really tempted to pick all Philippe here. Uh, it's last blaze of glory before the real GC racing, uh, happens.
0: All right, stage 13, it's the lone individual time trial of the 2019 Tour de France 27.2K. Uh, looks like a pretty power TT to me. There is a tricky little steep gradient right near the finish, but as a whole, this is a pretty, uh, yeah, pretty good time trial for the guys who like time trials. There's some rollers. Uh, I'm going to go with Gary Thomas to win this thing.
1: I'm uh, I'm going to go with uh I'm going to go with Tony Martin actually. He's he looked really good in the TTT. Um he hasn't been doing a whole lot, which makes me think they may be kind of keeping him chill for uh for this particular day, uh Chad Hage style. So we'll see.
0: There's a there's like a non-zero chance that Yumbo Visma wins 50% of the stages at this tournament. They've already <laughs> they've won 40% of the stages as of 10 days in.
1: That's I would I I would say that would be very hard, but if they won a third of the stages here, I would I would buy that. I would I would get on that boat.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, stage fourteen. We've talked about it. It's the Tourmalet stage. Uh, by the way, there is another category one climb before they even get to the Tourmalet, and then there's a descent, and then yes, the very long, very challenging Col de Tourmalet. Nineteen kilometers at seven point four percent reaches an altitude of two thousand one hundred and fifteen meters. That's just a touch under seven thousand feet. It is a hard climb. It's a really long climb. It's a climb that has bikes named after it. It's uh, it's pretty famous for good reason. As for the stage win, I like Thibaut Pino for this. He looked really good. Uh, I was gonna say on stage six, but pretty much this entire race except for stage ten, uh, I like his chances on this climb, and I think he's gonna be, uh, yeah, motivated to to prove something, to prove he is a contender in this race. Why not prove it on the Tourmalet?
1: I'm going to go with Gary and Thomas. I think uh, I think this one will play out exactly the way Ineos expects it to. I don't think we're going to see as much selection as we might expect, which tends to play into Thomas's favor because he does have that, that remnant of track speed.
0: Stage 15 is a really cool one. I like the profile on this stage. There are four categorized climbs. Uh, the last three, and it's back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, are Category 1 climbs. None of them especially long, but uh all of them are worthy of their first category designation, I think. The stage does end on the top of one of those climbs, so from a stage hunting perspective, I do like this one for the breakaway again, because the up down, up down does kinda make it hard to control the race. What do you think?
1: Um I don't know, maybe Chicone again? He was in the break a long time and didn't actually look that good on, on Planche de Belphi, but he is you know, uh, he probably won't do well on the Tourmalet uh, and may get some rope. I don't know, though. I, I feel weird picking a guy who's already been in yellow.
0: <laughs> I actually really like Dylan Toons for this one. Speaking of Laplanche de Belfi, uh, he's a guy who does like this kind of profile. It, it, it's a bit hard for him, I think, if it were out of the GC group. But from the breakaway, he seems like a really good candidate to, to come away with this kind of stage win. And yeah, he's already won one, so why not go for another one?
1: I mean, he looks he looks alarmingly skinny. I'm wondering if he has the calories to uh, to make it another hilltop finish a week from now.
0: Well, the bottom uh, of the power to weight fraction, he's got that covered, you know? Yes. He just needs yes. to get the the top part. Uh, that's the five stages that await us until the next second and final rest day at the Tour de France, at which we will be able to reconvene, assess our predictions, talk about the state of the race, what's been going on. Um before we go, we should probably, you know, figure out whether we want to stick with the guys you originally picked to end up on the final podium for the Tour de France. Uh, what do you think? Are you still going to go with Agon and Bernal as your winner? What's your what's your top three look like now?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm going to stick with Bernal. I think um, as well as Thomas has been racing, Bernal has been racing eighty to ninety percent as good, and I think. He's never going to be the guy that has that, you know, kilometer effort basically uh, to to go faster than everyone else for a very short period of time. He's much more that kind of thrashy, cutting, slashing, swashbuckling climber, and I think we'll see that in the third week. And I think I don't think anyone else is going to be able to touch him.
0: I like your sword-oriented figurative language there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 how I feel when he's when he's he, he's he definitely has a. It's like he he, dan- he dances on the pedals, like in not the cliched way when he's yeah. when he's going for it. So um Yeah, let me think. Filling out the podium. Uh Pff, Thibaut Pinot's looked really good. Thomas has looked really good. I could see two Ineos riders on the podium here. Uh, let's go let's go with Pinot in second and Thomas in third.
0: All right, I'm gonna go with uh, Thomas for the win. Sticking with my guns here. Uh and I'm gonna go with Bernal to come in second. Oh man, a one two. Third overall. I like Pinot as well. I think Pinot's looked really strong, and and I think the big thing with Pinot is that he has improved his time trial since the days of old, and that's going to come in handy here with the time trial ahead. I, I think he's then going to continue to shine. The question is, can he avoid his uh, his Jour sang?
1: Maybe maybe he's already maybe he's already had it. Maybe, maybe that his, was, his,
0: was his Jour sang. Yeah, the extent of his Jour Song was going the wrong way around a roundabout. Yeah, well, which way. is you know that's not that bad.
1: A lot of other people went around that roundabout the that's wrong true. Way, to the yeah. point that, like, if you're not the first five or six guys, like, you're just going to follow the wheel. Uh, right, yeah. Because that's what you do when you're racing bikes.
0: All right, so those are our picks. We'll see how it goes. Uh, hopefully the racing over the next five days will be as entertaining as the profiles appear. Fingers hopefully you'll get a chance to watch. Uh, stay tuned for the race and stay tuned for more from us on the second and final rest day. This has been The Recon Ride. I'm Dane Cash
1: and I'm Cosmo Catalano
0: and that's our show.